Here we go. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Um, I won't make you raise your hand uh, as to who may have read ahead, but uh, this is uh, an extensive passage that we're going to discuss today. Uh, it's going to probably be more reading than I would prefer to have, uh, and I may skip, uh, skip over some things just in the interest of uh, sparing you guys from having to hear me read. Um, but the big idea of this is the Ark of the Covenant has been safely um, enshrined in the tabernacle uh, there at Shiloh. Uh, and, you know, we know the, the priestly sacrifices were going on because we know that uh, Elkanah and his family, his wives, including his wife Hannah, they were going there, they were making sacrifices. So, uh, things were generally running the way God had ordained it uh, all the way back uh, from the days of Moses. Um, in, in this section, there is a major disruption, and uh, the ark is not going to be in Shiloh anymore. So here we go. Where are we? First Samuel chapter 4. Picking up with verse 19 of chapter 3, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, everything that he prophesied about came true. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the, the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So he was a prophet, and he was trying to unify uh, the, the uh, nation there uh, as, as judge uh, and also as prophet. Now, the second half of verse 1. Now, Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. We've met them, right? They were from the region of the Aegean. They were maritime people. They had uh, emigrated from, in a couple of different um, time frames and had established at least five colonies there on the coast of the Mediterranean. And they were always after the Israelites. Here we go. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines camped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. When the troops came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from him the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. So, does this sound like a good idea? Well, it sounded like a good idea to them, right? Remember, they had fought lots of battles. They had taken the promised land, mostly. There have been times when they routed their enemies. All of those times, God was with them. And the ark was with them. What was wrong with this idea? Well, 
God hadn't told them to. And the Ark of the Covenant, they're using it just like a tool, right? They're saying, well, you know, it's always worked before. Things didn't go so well last time. Hey, guys, let's go get the Ark, because that seems to be what we're missing here. A little foreshadowing here, it says, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. They said, a God has come into the camp. Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? Now they heard, and they had even witnessed perhaps, some of the mighty battles that had happened when the ark was there. But they didn't flee like has happened at some places. What does it say in verse 9? Take courage and be men of Philistines. In other words, okay, we've got a new challenge. Let's get after it. Rise up, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. There was a great slaughter for the fellow of Israel, 30,000 foot shoulders, soldiers. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. Turn back to chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. And we see or are reminded that this was prophesied. Now, we know that Hophni and Phinehas were not being good priests, right? They were fornicating with the women that were there to try to help out at the tabernacle. This is not a good thing. They were disrupting the sacrifice, if you remember that. They weren't handling the meat properly in the eyes of God. And a prophet came and spoke to Eli in verse 34, we hear the latter half of the, the latter part of the prophecy, rather, and it says, And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. Well, did that come true? Absolutely. Verse 12, A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line. We're back in chapter 4. And he came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. So this is a sign, I've got bad news, right? He's ripped his clothes. I mean, this is not going to go well. He says, when he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. So he knew, you know, that Eli wasn't fully able to stand up and control his sons. But at least he, he was aware of a, a little bit more than his sons were about the connection. And when the man came into the city and told the news and cried out, when Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what's the uproar? Verse 15, now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set so they could not see. Probably had horrible cataracts. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go? He brought the news, answered, said, 
Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's been a great defeat. Your two sons are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. And as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, he fell over backwards from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for he was old and heavy. He judges Israel for 40 years. We go on to see that his daughter-in-law at that same time, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant. She went into premature labor. She dies, gives birth to a son, verse 21, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel. The ark of God has been captured. So, even she knew that this was a sign. You know, God had given um, signs to the people of his presence. Uh, back in the days of, of um, Egypt, uh, when he brought them out, wanderings in the wilderness, he was there with them. This is not the first time that God has basically removed himself after the incident with the golden calf he basically said you know I'm not going to be with you and of course Moses pleaded with him uh, and 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 God reconnected of course the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured Chapter 5. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. So this is one of those coastal cities where they had their, their main cities. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. Now, this is an awesome little story if you've read it. And it's also just like divinely hilarious. Verse 3, and when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, oh, I skipped a part. Then the Philistines took the ark of God, brought it into the house of Dagon, and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So Dagon was a god that they brought with them from Crete or regions of the Aegean back there, wherever they were from. And Dagon was one of these, um, well, <laughs> I've just, let me take a detour. I've just been introduced uh, by my three-year-old granddaughter to the world of uh, bubble puppies or bubble guppies or something like that. Are you familiar with this? So I'm hearing this going in the background until I look at this cartoon and it's all happening under the sea, but they're like dogs and sheep and all this other stuff. But like the dogs have two legs and a tail like a dolphin. And the sheep have two legs and a tail like a dolphin because I guess the whole thing's happening under the sea. The, I couldn't get my head around the physics of it all. But, but anyway, that's Dagon. Dagon had the torso and the head of a man and the lower half like a dolphin, representing kind of the maritime roots that they had. So, uh, so here's Dagon, and the ark is placed basically at, at his feet, or tail, uh, as the case may be, 
you know, kind of indicating that, you know, now the ark of God is, the Israelite God is, is worshiping the greater God, Dagon, because we were victorious. So they wake up the next morning and Dagon has fallen on his face before the ark. So they took Dagon and put it back when they saw this, verse 4. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold, and only the trunk was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. They said, The ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon. So they said, What are we going to do? So this is kind of funny. They said, Let the ark of God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So this is one of their other cities. <laughs> Right? They said, it's, this is not going well for us. You know, let's take it down to Kershaw. <laughs> um, so they brought the, God, brought the Ark of God of Israel there, but after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against that city, causing great panic, and he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so the tumors broke out of them. So they said, let's send it to Great Falls. Let's send the Ark of God to Ekron. The people of Ekron said, they brought the ark to, of God to, to kill us and our people. So they said, no, you just send it back. Let's just, just send it back. So they were struck with tumors. Now, so there's been some speculation as to what this was. Now, some, there's a mention um, uh, here in a little bit. Uh, we're going to hear about all these mice. And they said, well, uh, tumors and mice... Maybe this was the first historical mention of the bubonic plague. So plagues, you know, carried by fleas that feed on the mice. And if you, when you get, they call them a bubonic plague because you get these things called buboes, which are basically big, in doctor talk we'd say inflammatory masses, basically something akin to a massive boil. And the, the text basically says it's like tumors of the groin. So, and you can get them in this inguinal area. Um, so plague is probably a good idea, but the King James, basically, that whole groin thing, it gets translated as hemorrhoids. Neither of which would be pleasant, right? <laughs> so, you know, if, if everybody in your city breaks down with hemorrhoids, then the people aren't happy, right? You're not going to be happy with that, or tumors, or boils, or buboes, or whatever. This is not the kind, if you make this connection, you don't want this, and you want to do anything you can to get away from it. Chapter 6, verse 1, the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months, you know, as they're shuffling it around, and Philistines call for the priests and said, what are we going to do with this? And they basically, they researched it, and they said, okay, let's send it back, and we want to send it back with an offering, so they're going to give images, this is a little bizarre, images of the tumors and images of the mice in gold are going back with the ark. And somehow they, I guess maybe they got a hold of some scripture or something. Um, they gathered 
uh, two cows who had both had calves, and they yoked the calves up to the, I mean, the, the cows up to the, the cart, and they basically said, if these two cows who've had no direction whatsoever, they've never been trained um, in the yoke, they have no pattern of b pulling a cart, if they will leave their calves behind, and if it goes back to Israel, then we'll know that it was a God of Israel who's been doing all this. Otherwise, maybe it was just all a coincidence and we've been worried about nothing. That's the gist of it. Verse 10. The men did so. They took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart, shut up the calves at home, and they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors. You know, thinking, wow. Verse 12, and the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right or to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border. The people were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and when they lifted up their eyes, they saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. And the cart came into the field, it stopped there, there was a big stone. They split up the wood of the cart, offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord, and the Levites took down the ark of the Lord, and the box was beside it, in which the golden figures, and put them upon the great stone. They offered burnt, burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned back to Ekron. Okay? So, they were watching. They see, they come to, this is like on the frontier of the Israeli occupation there at Beth Shemesh. And they said, okay, the cows went straight there. Uh, I guess it wasn't a coincidence after all. Um, and they go back home. So, so far, so good, right? Everybody's happy to have the ark back. They offer sacrifices. Yay, the ark is back with us. But... Unfortunately, they were messing with the ark. Um, apparently, they touched it, they looked on it, in some way disrespected it. In verse 19, it says, And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh, because they looked upon the ark. He struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned, because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. He said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, and to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. So this is another neighboring town sort of situation. The men of Kiriath, so the Israelites are doing basically the same thing that the Philistines had done. But this time it says, uh, they brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. They consecrated his son Eliezer to have, char to have charge of the ark of the Lord. And from that day, the ark was lodged a long time past, some 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So in this battle where the Israelites were defeated, it was probably near Shiloh. So... I don't know if the tabernacle had maybe been hastily, remember it was a fancy tent basically. It perhaps had just been taken down hastily before the battle and stored and so forth. In any event, uh, for some reason they didn't send the ark back to Shiloh. Um, 
so it's sent to this other town and, and it appears that they handled it more properly with respect. Um, they, they did, it wound up actually staying there about a hundred years, uh, we find out later. Um, it was well taken care of there. Um, the interesting thing is at no point along the way did the people really realize that they were basically treating the God Jehovah the same way that the pagans treated their God. They had literally thought of their God in a box. They thought if we move it around, then we're moving God around. They had, they had lost sight of the fact that their God was omniscient, omnipresent, and all-powerful. Their image of God had gotten so small that he was just a way to win battles. And it was all about them controlling God by where the ark was landed. Clearly, their theology had drifted so far. Now, remember, it had been what we say three or four hundred years from the days of Moses until the end of the time of the judges things had this corruption that you saw with Eli and his sons um, they weren't that far from the people themselves uh, the theology had really drifted a lot What was this Ark of God called? It was called the Ark of the Covenant, right? They forgot the covenant part. <laughs> I mean, think about it. How many, we went over this when we did our introduction. Joshua says, you know, if you will be my people, and if you will call me God, and if you will have no other gods before me, and da 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 da, I will be your God. A reiteration of this covenant that had been given to Moses and Joshua did it again and then they messed up and then just a short while later they repented they said I'm sorry and he said okay I'm gonna give it to you again if you will love me and obey me and do my commandments and I will be your God here's our covenant and they forgot that he was a God of covenant they treated him like a pagan god. That's how far they had drifted. So in this section, we have a reminder that, as we start off, what? God keeps his promises. He made a promise to Eli. Hey, judgment's coming. He had a lesson to his people that he's powerful, he's God. I don't, <laughs> I'm not, compelled to be in this box here you know this was a, my gift to you to remind you of my covenant not that I'm in that box he reminded the people at Beth Shemesh that he was a holy God the severity of the punishment is just because they knew this is not the way the ark would be treated but they had again they were treating it like some pagan god. Very often, before things get better, things get worse. So here we are at this really low point in this history. 
In fact, you could probably think of this as the lowest point since they left Egypt with perhaps a possible exception of the idolatry of the golden calf. This was a really low point for them. But God's always moving forward, right? He's always got his plan and things are going to pick up. A teaser for next week, verse 3 of seven, chapter 7. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. He will deliver you. So we know that it was about 20 years that Samuel had been serving the people. The ark is there at this Kiriath-Jerim. And now Samuel senses basically revival in the land. And he's saying, you know, if you guys are serious, if you are returning to the Lord, I mean, think about this. What's he asking them to do? What's he saying? Put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you. What are they doing with those? Seriously? They've got them in their houses. But he calls on them and he, and he senses God is moving and it says, if you are returning to the Lord, then then here's a big step you need to take. Get rid of this. Get rid of all these foreign gods. Serve him only and he will deliver you. So, that's where we pick up next week. All right. Any thoughts? This is true today, too. We, have, we don't have these gods that we can pick up and physically hold, but we have gods in our lives. Like money, prestige, pride, all that. So if we, he's asking us to do the same thing today. We just have to realize what we're putting before him. And that's hard to do sometimes unless you're talking to him. Yep. Um, The Holy Spirit is quite faithful. If you ask him to show you where the idols are in your life, he will do that. and, you know, I always had, I, I mean, it thought hit me through this whole thing, you know, do we still put God in a box? Do we still think of the things of God as superstitious in almost a way? You see this in the movies, right? You know, there's somebody holds up a cross or maybe does a sign of the cross or, you know, um, you know, after a field goal, right? <laughs> Before they step up to the plate to... You know, to hit a baseball. I mean, you know, um, that's not, you know, God's not a lucky charm. But he that's what he had been, to, you know, reduced to back in those days. So. All right.
Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, please read ahead. Um, it's a, it's a, a fascinating account. And like any good story, um, it's got its high points and its low points. So we're in some low points uh, this week. Um, and uh, hills and valleys ahead. Uh, fair warning. All right, thanks, everybody. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day, the way that um, you um, prove yourself to be way bigger uh, than our own uh, you know, petty constructs that uh, we tend to build, uh, that we cannot put you in a box, that your ways and your work and your plans are always going forward. Uh, thank you for blessing us along the way and including us in those plans, and we just pray that you'd uh, continue to move us to the likeness of your Son. In his name, amen. Thanks, everybody.